as we go about our Christmas traditions today, Lord, that we would just take time and stand in awe of your love for us, Father. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, today's service is going to be abbreviated, and we want to respect all the, the various family events that you've got going on today, but we also wanted uh, to gather and worship. And so I'm going to offer a, an abbreviated, a shortened message, but I know that for a preacher to say that, it carries a sort of a grain of salt. Since I heard someone say that once, and then I heard a yell from the back of the room saying, prove it. <laughs> so, so thanks for not yelling that. Um, I don't know how many of you have nativity sets. Uh, this is one that I stole from my kids. I'll give it back, don't worry. And, um, and uh, we, have, we have several nativity sets around the house, but maybe if, if you've experienced this, maybe parents have experienced this, um, we not only have a nativity set that has what's sort of the typical stuff, you know, the, the angel and the stable and, and the baby Jesus, but we also have other toys in the house and other figurines and whatnot. And so a couple years ago, I walked into the living room to see the typical nativity set um, augmented with other creatures from uh, Noah's Ark, apparently. And so we had a, a, an, a, an ominous looking lion perched right next to the baby Jesus and, and a giraffe and an elephant and, and perhaps a McDonald's figurine like of Darth Vader um, from Star it was a very unique nativity set and, and sort of in fulfillment of the biblical prophecy of, you know, all creation coming to worship, um, even, even superheroes. Um, there's, a, there's a strange nativity set. Um, but I don't know, how many of you remember the nativity story with the big red dragon? Anybody remember that nativity story? No, no. I... I tell stories to my kids at bedtime, and there are all sorts of interesting creatures. There's a big green dragon that gives them rides. There is a talking turtle named Sheldon. Um, there's a reformed shark who's used to be mean, but now he's nice. His name's Chomper. But we don't have a big red dragon. And I'm guessing most of you have never heard the Christmas story, the nativity story with the big red dragon. But there is one. There is one in the Bible. And so while we read the, like, the most famous Christmas passages this morning, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 1 and 2, and then Luke chapter 2, uh, the passage I want to read today for our Christmas passage is, is sort of the untold story of Christmas. And I read a blog post this week, and the blog post was entitled, When a Dragon Tried to Eat Jesus, the Nativity Story we don't talk about. And this, this theologian wrote, he said, I'm still searching for Christmas cards with the big red dragon in the nativity lurking amidst the cows and lambs waiting to devour the baby in the manger. None of the gospels mention this unwelcome visitor to Bethlehem, but John does in the book of Revelation. You can read all about it in chapter 12. It's the nativity story we don't talk about. And so my passage today, unusually, is Revelation chapter 12, and it is about the birth of Jesus, albeit augmented with a big red dragon. So if you're, if you're looking, if you showed up and you were wanting a sermon on um, fantastic beasts and where to find them, um, this is it. Revelation chapter 12, bear with me 
Uh, I'll read it for you. The words won't be on the screen, but just uh, picture this. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns, and its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there. And then it goes on further on in the passage. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is God's word. Uh, Revelation. Uh, one scholar said that there are many strange beasts in the book of Revelation, many strange creatures, but none stranger than the people who like to study them. <laughs> and so we don't preach about the book of Revelation very much. It's the thing of charts and basement-dwelling prophecies and pin the tail on the Antichrist, predictions that do not come to pass hardly ever. But it does contain the untold story of Christmas. Almost every scholar agrees. Revelation chapter 12, the story of the woman who gives birth and the dragon is the story of the birth of Jesus, albeit told in more colorful symbolic imagery. So there's a dragon, and Revelation tells us the dragon is symbolic of Satan. There's a baby, and the baby is the baby Jesus, the Christ. And there's a woman. Some, some interpret this as Mary, and some as really an embodiment of God's people, Israel, that give birth to the Messiah. But it's the Christmas story painted on a canvas that is cosmic in scope. Not just a manger with hay in it, and not just a picture of a sort of a starlit night in Bethlehem, but a picture as big as creation itself. And I wanna highlight just three simple lessons from this untold Christmas story that are crucial if you wanna get the real meaning of Christmas. Number one, one of the things this passage tells us is that Christmas is a divine invasion. Christmas is not just cute. Christmas is not just a time for tinsel and family and carols. Christmas paints the picture of a God who loves his creation so much, fallen as it is, that he becomes human and invades the world with divine love. Christmas is a divine invasion. 
And, and there's so much more going on than just a picture of a newborn baby. Philip Yancey, the Christian, Christian writer, says that from God's viewpoint and Satan's, Christmas signals far more than the birth of a baby. It was an invasion. Silent night, violent night, heaven and hell meet to fight, he says. We didn't sing that version today, but he says Christmas is an invasion. And while wars have been fought over money and property and soil and oil, this war is fought for humanity itself, for us. This is an invasion for the purpose of redemption. Christmas is a divine invasion. C.S. Lewis describes the planet Earth amongst all of the other uh, bodies in the, in the cosmos, in the heavens. He calls planet Earth the visited planet. This is the one where the creator of the universe not only spoke it into being, but he came and he invaded and he visited. He walked among us. He came as a baby as a baby born in Bethlehem. Christmas is an invasion. And secondly, as with any invasion, there is an enemy. There's an enemy. If you follow the scriptures, you know that, that Christians have several enemies. One enemy is sin that, that wars against us. Another enemy is, is death. Paul calls death the last enemy in 1 Corinthians 15, but that death itself will be overcome. But the enemy that's, that's painted, that's depicted in this, in this scene, is not sin or death, but it's the Satan, the devil. And he's depicted in John's colorful, over-the-top imagery as this many-headed dragon. And he's called also the accuser, the accuser of the brothers sisters. One of the things that John is saying in this depiction of the Christmas story is that the devil's power comes not just by forcing his will on people, but by accusing us of reminding us of our sin and our guilt and our shortcomings and, and demanding that we be punished for the things that we've done wrong. And so John calls the dragon the accuser, but we learn that the scriptures paint not just the story of an accuser, but the story of an advocate. Jesus is called the, the parakletos, the advocate for humanity. The Holy Spirit is also called the advocate of humanity. And the picture is, while the devil accuses and reminds us of our guilt and our faults and our shortcomings and our failings, we have an advocate that testifies before God the Father that we have been cleansed, that we've been forgiven and redeemed, as John says, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The child comes to set us free from this enemy and from every enemy. It's an, it's an invasion, and as with every invasion, there's an enemy. But lastly, what we learn from this story, this Christmas story, and from the rest of the Gospels, is that the dragon is defeated in the most unlikely way. 
He's not slain as he is in the old stories of knights and horses and jousts. He's not slain with a sword through the use of uh, violence or, or, or something like that. Chad Bird writes, he says, the dragon misses his opportunity in Bethlehem. And so he hounds our Lord to Egypt and then back to Galilee, and he trails him into the desert with tempting words. And finally, after 33 years of warfare and repeated defeats, he wins, or so it seems. The dragon who failed to devour the child in the manger swallows the man atop the cross. And no depiction of the Christmas story is complete without the shadow of a cross that sweeps across a manger. The Christmas story only is good news if it intersects with the story of Good Friday and the story of Easter. And Bird says that the dragon who failed in Bethlehem thought he succeeded at Calvary. Jesus. And Matthew's gospel says a very strange thing in chapter 12. He compares his death on a cross to Jonah being gulped down by the sea monster. And it's very strange because Jesus doesn't say Jonah being gulped down by the ichthus, by the fish. He talks about him being gulped down by the ketus, the monster, the dragon. And he says, just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of the monster, so the Son of Man will spend three days in the belly of the earth. Describes his crucifixion as a being swallowed up by death. And the early church fathers, in almost lurid imagery, they described the cross as as the dragon gulping down the Son of Man and then being caught by the fish hook of his true nature. Martin Luther seizes upon this lurid imagery of how the devil was defeated in the most unlikely way. That the child that was born in Bethlehem, the child that the dragon pursued, actually defeats evil in a nonviolent, in an unexpected, in a sacrificial way. And so amid all of the, the carols and the happy uh, traditional trappings of Christmas, one of the messages that we have to hear today in closing is this. According to, to John and Revelation, according to Matthew, according to Luke, to say Merry Christmas is to say that the dragon is defeated The baby is alive, and his victory has set us free. The dragon is defeated, the baby is alive, and his victory sets us free. Let's pray. God, as we prepare to sing and celebrate once more, we thank you for this baby that was born, for this mother who obeyed and believed, We thank you that, as John tells us in Revelation chapter 12, that though the dragon pursued him, though Satan would want to defeat us, 
It's the dragon who's defeated. It's the baby who's alive. And he has come to set us free. We celebrate that this Christmas day. We worship and praise the risen king. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Go tell it on the mountain.